1: i've got a bottle of lad oh great corona yeah the laddest of beers yeah and look if you just oh
2: here we go oh. Ah, yeah. great oh. i can hear a lot of hissing on your microphone lucas wait really can you actually hear oh no no because of the, <laughs> the oh,
0: bottle. Right. it's all That's good it. though it's all great <laughs> <laughs> all right, right i've got to do that or? again
1: now then just get open another one let <laughs> keep going maybe we set a rule that we never make jokes about each other's quality because yeah I agree yeah it's stupid (laughs) yeah that's a good
3: idea
0: that's a good idea quality of mic or quality of contribution oh both (laughs) okay right never make jokes about it never make jokes about it okay Hello and welcome to What Is Music, a music podcast about music. We're a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety, doing deep dives on one artist at a time. You join us in season four, which is called Is It Rad In Your Head? A critical analysis of the history, cultural impact and music of Radiohead. We're going through their entire career, album by album, track by track, asking questions like, does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season, we're of course asking, is it rad in your head? And to be clear, we're asking, is it rad in your head in regards to the band Radiohead? Not, is it rad in your head? In regards to this, the fourth season of our podcast, which is called Is It Rad In Your Head? And which is now In Yo Head. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. I'm a huge music fan. I love the artistry, the emotion, also the context that surrounds music. With me, as always, is someone who said that they don't care about art or talking about art, doesn't often relate personally to music, but does enjoy nice sounds, it's Lucas Way. Yes. <laughs> In the middle of that, we have someone who can sort of appreciate context and art and subject matter, but has no idea what any of it means. It's Steve Murphy. I love you. Okay, great. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's actually been a little while since we recorded. Our our schedule's getting really uh, loosey-goosey. We've slowed right down.
1: Have we slowed down? I think we're still continuing to release one episode a week.
0: Right, but our recording schedule, how
2: long since we last recorded? Uh, a while. It's like the uh, the duck on the, on the water analogy, isn't it? On the top it all looks calm for everyone uh, listening. As far as they're aware, business as usual, duck, right? Underneath. Normal duck. and feet flailing everywhere. Yeah, but it's the opposite of that, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah, that's a good point, yeah.
0: Because we're very calm underneath. We're only meeting up like every six weeks or so, but we're still managing to get yeah, something true. out every week. Yeah. So it's like an upside-down duck. It's like an upside-down duck in many ways. Yeah, I've always said that about this podcast. We're going through the entire discography of Synth Botherer's Radiohead. Mm. We have reached their fourth album, Kid A, which is slightly infamous as being somewhat of a departure for the band. We're going to see if it is and work out what we think of it now by taking into account all manner of subtext, history, social context, discussion and Usually bollocks as well. And hopefully this will shed some light on our ultimate quest, which is to work out what we think music is. Guys, what is music to you? Toast sounds. (laughs) Toasted sounds, excellent. Guys, Mm. I think we should preface
1: or preface. Which one would you prefer that I use? I'd say preface, but I like preface more. I like preface more because it's the word. And mm. prefaces
3: and Well yeah, but
0: would you then say prefix that
1: gives it a little edge, doesn't it? I would absolutely edge. say preface. would you wouldn't say preface, would you? Prefix. Maybe. Would you say prefix. No, so because a prefix. that's a different word. That's a prefix. That's a different word. Yeah. What about prefab? Yeah, that's
0: the one. Done. Okay, cool. We obviously to to preface this episode. <laughs> preface. Spent spent a long time talking about okay computer yeah. and all of the things associated uh with the era of okay computer uh and it's time to move on but i do just briefly want to talk about okay computer just really quickly that's all right we We did
2: all decide was great computer at the end of all yeah that's true yeah we did Uh, okay computer right is an album that
0: is very important to the history of music and an album that is very important to me Personally, and it's also just had a really big anniversary. Uh, it, it's twenty fifth, and so in the lead up to recording our episodes on OK Computer, there were a lot of things from which to draw. I would, I suppose, you would say it's one of the most widely written about albums of all time. And so we were kind of inundated with new think pieces and documentaries and articles around the time of us preparing the OK Computer episodes. Uh, Kid A is kind of equally important to the history of music, similarly important to me personally, but it's also a much more um, enigmatic album album. Uh,
2: secret album.
0: Yeah, for, for lots of reasons that we will explore. But lots of people have called, guys, the OK Computer episodes, our best ever episodes.
1: All downhill from here, baby. And you're welcome. Mm.
0: <laughs> but that makes them quite difficult to follow up. I, I cannot do what I did for OK Computer for every album that we cover, nor will it warrant it. It's created a weird mirror dimension in which we're kind of trying to follow up our best ever episodes about one of the greatest ever albums. And that follow-up is focused on the difficult follow-up to the album that we covered in those episodes. So anyway, <laughs> I can't possibly bring in as much... It's, it's kind of like a warning. I can't bring in as much context, as much outside thought Uh, as i would like as much analysis as i did for those episodes so this episode for kid a whilst it'll be you know pretty hefty i think it will be a little bit less far-reaching and definitive than the episodes that we've just had okay so about 130 years ago in the late nineteenth century, okay, <laughs> about the eighteen nineties, yeah, right, yeah. that kind yeah, of time, yeah, yeah, yeah? yeah. The first electronic devices that could produce music were invented. <laughs> okay, guys, yeah, yeah. So that's where we're going to start okay. for this episode. Eighteen nineties, uh, sure. Similar to uh, Lucas, you'll love this.
1: I won't. Film. Hmm.
3: Yeah, there we go, that's
0: pricked up his ears Similar to film It was kind of of pioneered around uh, the same time uh, But they were sort of Primarily a demonstration of ingenuity Right? Like film was like a sideshow It wasn't like for another 30 years or so In like the 1920s the 1930s, that composers started to actually use those very early electronic and electromechanical instruments, mostly modelled after pianos. We're kind of
2: essentially talking about the invention of the keyboard, sure. uh, I suppose. I imagine we'll get to the 20s and 30s in... Two, three hours from now? A couple of episodes, a couple of episodes probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Those early compositions were mostly sort of classical leaning, using electronic instruments to recreate acoustic instruments. So it all kind of sounded like piano or strings. And then in the 1940s, people started recording to tape. Which required an electronic machine, and so a lot of the first experiments with electronic processing of music, cutting it up, running it backwards, stuff like that, were done on magnetic tape. Music produced solely from electronic generators, meaning algorithmic composition, which I think Lucas would be very into, was first achieved in Germany in 1953, and then in yeah and then in the US <laughs> later that same decade uh in the 1960s that, that's the first decade in which computer music was made. And it was, like, purely experimental. But at the same time, a huge wave of electronic instruments that were mostly made in Japan influenced the music industry. And by the 70s, electronic keyboards were pretty commonplace. Drum machines were cropping up. Computer-generated music was becoming something that actually sounded more like traditional, listenable music. Disco, krautrock, new wave, synth-pop, hip-hop all popularised the use of those sort of like new instruments, including things like electronic drum kits, turntables, polyphonic synthesizers. And then in the 80s, we saw the rise of electronic dance music, which coincided with kind of more widespread use of digital
1: synthesizers. Well, that's a Casio DG1 electric uh, synthesised guitar. 100%. It changed music forever, right? Of course it did. Of course it did. <laughs> uh, the
0: invention of MIDI... That was the 1980s, uh, It would, uh, like an entirely digital interface for recording music, and it was now its own genre, rather than a fusion with rock or other genres, and in the 1990s, artists started putting the experimental, the original experimental edge of electronically generated music back into it, and nowadays, obviously, electronic music is everywhere. Like, the biggest pop acts are arguably electronic
2: musicians, right? Yeah, Billy Luke uses a lot of electronic instruments, doesn't she? He's one yeah, of the biggest absolutely. artists on the planet. She is ten foot tall, Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which was yeah. really handy when hey. I saw her in the OT. To be fair,
0: well, yeah, you can. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you're sat in the crowd; you can always see her because she's just towering above. So everything many stamping else. deaths. <laughs> <laughs> was she just stamping on people? She's just walking. She's out in the only crowd, yeah. ten foot. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. She's not like the... It's not attack of the 50-foot woman.
2: I didn't tell you how big her feet were. Huge.
0: Huge (laughs) feet. (laughs) Anyway, my point for all of that Mm. is that it's worth bearing in mind that the time period in which this episode takes place, purely electronic music, had been a popular genre for about 10, maybe
2: 15 years. How Uh, often in these episodes are we going to hear, And guys... Rock bands didn't sound like this? Well, I, it's fairly
0: evident that rock bands didn't sound yeah. like this. You'd be <laughs> forgiven for thinking that rock bands did sound like OK Computer, but obviously yeah. no rock bands sounded like Kid A yeah. because they're no longer really a rock band. Um, but that's not very long. This episode, like, you know, 10-15 years in the past this episode uh, or what will turn out to be these episodes uh, of our podcast of course take place primarily in the years 1999 and 2000 but just briefly um creep was released in september 1992 yeah do you guys remember that what, like vaguely was well, i right. don't mean like i don't mean
2: do you remember 1992 oh, right. i yeah, mean yeah. do you remember us talking
0: about the song creep
2: oh yeah i remember that
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, that year they played 87 shows in, uh, in 1992. In 1993 they played 160 shows. In 1994 they played 64 shows. The Benz was released in 1995 and they played 171 shows and were still touring it in 1996 and that year they played 51 shows. For OK Computer, in 1997 they played 82 shows, which continued into 1998. And between January and June, the first six months of 1998, they played 35 shows. Uh, those numbers don't kind of take into account playing short sets for radio sessions, TV stuff, related promo. But it is 650 shows in seven years. Uh, their OK Computer Tour ended in June 1998. And between June 1998 and June 2000, so pretty much exactly two years, they played one show. Oh. Uh, they
2: com- they completely disappeared. Yeah, after seeing uh, Meeting People's Easy fair play for dropping off for a bit have a little break <laughs> have your break down and you have your break That's the um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and then straight after that in june 1998 the band took six months off so mm. no shows no interviews no tv no promo at all um it's it's interesting uh, you know some of the discussions that we had around meeting people is easy um an interesting thing about Radiohead, an important thing to remember about Radiohead, is they never actually wanted to be famous, I suppose. They wanted to be musicians. They wanted to be in a band. They wanted to be successful, but they never wanted the limelight. They never wanted to be famous. And so at this point, now that they're very famous, they were also very exhausted, which I think we saw. Uh, you know yeah a couple of weeks ago it made people this easy yeah um they just took a big step back they did one shortened set which was an hour long as part of like a mixed bill in december 1998 in paris for amnesty international uh notably this being radiohead having just spent six months off touring they didn't play any new songs it's very unlike them it is unlike them, right? To not yeah. have something waiting in the wings. Especially with the amount that we saw in Meeting People is Easy. In the six months off from the band, Colin, the bassist, became the third member of Radiohead to get married uh, after Johnny and Phil had got married in the last couple oh, of congratulations years.
2: congratulations to Johnny and Phil. What a couple. Not to
0: each other. To- <laughs>
2: okay, great. Okay, yeah, <laughs> Pleased with that. I might stop recording, actually. <laughs>
0: Tom bought a new house uh, on the coast of Cornwall where he lived with his long-term partner Rachel Owen they have been together at this point since they were 19 they met at university Um, and he put a a piano in the house uh, his first ever grand piano that he'd bought uh, and he just completely withdrew from media in general he didn't watch or listen to anything or engage with any of it. Um, He couldn't turn on the radio without hearing the sort of countless bands that had taken what Radiohead had had done and either cloned it or approximated it. He hated that he had had such a bad time performing the music he was making and then everything on the radio now sounded like the music that he was making. He just kind of couldn't get away from it. And obviously it was all in service of advertisers and he had always used music to get through difficult periods in his life so he was trying to get over this traumatic experience of touring the world and kind of being used by the capitalist machine is kind of how he uh, interpreted it um, performing in what he would call 10,000 person cattle sheds that all have sponsors and advertisers attached so he just withdrew from that completely and suffered a complete block. In terms of writing or creating uh, anything, he couldn't finish anything using a guitar, he felt that rock was now a dead genre that had run its course, and he got really fed up of his voice. There's a quote here of him talking about his voice. He said, It did my head in that whatever I did with my voice, it had that particular set of associations. And there were lots of similar bands coming out at the time, and that made it even worse. I couldn't stand the sound of me even more. I got really into the idea, Lucas, you'll like this, of my voice being another one of the instruments, rather than this precious focus thing all the time.
1: Has Tom York been reading my notes on this album? I think he has. Yes. Oh.
0: Well, it, it's interesting that he obviously goes into this album. If this is in your notes, like it's interesting, he goes into this album with the idea of doing that, and then you've picked up on it. Um, so what he started doing, even me, even yeah, you, me, <laughs> even this guy, you. <laughs> he started rediscovering his love of electronic music. He was very into techno at Exeter University, very specifically around this time in the late 90s. So this is like late 1998, early 1999. He listened to every single recording that was released on the Warp label from Sheffield.
1: Is that a lot? It might be four albums.
0: It it was, you know, it's not. Hundreds, but also it's not two. Do you know what I mean? Like it is quite a lot, and <laughs> that th- between be, yeah. that could yeah. be four. <laughs> it could be four. I'm not ruling it out. Yeah, and that's um. So that's Aphex Twin, Ortega, Boards of Canada, Nightmares on Wax, Square Pusher, and they all kind of specialised, particularly in the 90s, in experimental, forward-thinking, electronic and dance music. Um, I have prepared. A little clip of like a little smorgasbord Mm. of what was available on the Warp records. Okay, so I'm going to play that for you now. Of uh Kid A yeah, in that, I that don't really know about was you guys.
2: A
1: proverbial meat platter of inspiration, wasn't it? Really? <laughs> wasn't it? Just? The second, the second one, I could only describe as German. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay,
0: that's interesting. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> the offer. only description you could come up for it, mm. even if pressed, you would just, you'd only be able to say German. Mm. That's, uh, that's that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, I can um, hear Kid A all over that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um also so constantly surprising to me that all of that stuff is like early mid 90s uh, because it, it feels very um current. Uh, I suppose a lot of it gets regurgitated and you know we all had a little head bob uh, to that. A lot of it gets re- regurgitated as chill beats to study slash relax to. Really? Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I, should, I should run down what they are for people who want to go check them out. Um, That was Alberto Balsam by Apex Twin, Clipper by Ortecra, Turquoise Hexagon Sun by Boards of Canada. Now, a little note there. I do, for the listeners, I do know about Roy G. Biv, but I've obviously not played it here because it comes up later. All right? Uh, then it was uh, The
1: session ch- one, what were they called, sorry? Ortecra. Just going to check if they're German. They're not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're from the UK. Uh Chin Hippie by Square <laughs> Pusher. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, we spat the drink out. That uh, sounds like one of the horses in Brass. Is it Brasso or is it Alan Partridge or something? Where it's, oh, it's on the it's day horse called day. Christ's yeah. Chin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Number three by Aphex Twin and Night's Interlude by Nightmares on Wax. And uh, Tom just sort of inhaled all of that stuff. Uh, he liked that it was all just inherently about structures and featured no recognisable human voices, but he still found it to be as emotional as the kind of music he'd been familiar with and then he also got into classic singer-songwriter stuff, specifically Tom Waits um, whilst he was, you know, immersing himself in that and going for, you know, long walks on the coast and getting back into drawing as a creative mm, Fossil outlet. hunting maybe Maybe, because Cornwall's good for that, right? Mm, is yeah. it the Jurassic sort of period or is that, am I wrong about
2: that? The Jurassic Coast rings a bell something about geography
0: but I think that's near Dover, right? Isn't that the other
1: direction? Well, okay. no, Jurassic Coast is uh, is west of of Hampshire. Oh, it's mm. like Dorset. Interesting. That is. Um,
0: he also restricted all musical creation that he might do to just the piano that he had put in the house, and feeling slightly newly inspired by all of these. New, this new music he was listening to and learning a new instrument uh, he wrote, the first song he wrote on the piano was everything in its right place or like a bit of it the riff, the chords probably
2: I was going to how do you write that on a piano but yeah, fair uh, well he's played on a piano uh, Yeah,
0: so are you mate <laughs> I am. yeah, that's true yeah. <laughs> uh, he was reminded of something that was discussed by the musician Tom Waits, which is that the best stuff is written when you're figuring something out if you have a new way of working or or a new instrument, for instance, because then everything is a novelty. You achieving the most basic things on a piano becomes exciting to you. Um, Tom regarded himself as a shit piano player, is his quote, yeah, uh, yeah. which kind of freed him from the expectations of writing anything great and instead writing something that just comes naturally, and then wanted to extrapolate that approach to the entire album and the entire band. He wanted to work with synths and drum machines and computers because he had no idea how to do that. He had absolutely no idea how any of that stuff worked, and none of the band had any idea how any of that stuff worked. They'd never really used any of it before. Whilst this is all going on for Tom, the discussions amongst the band in general, are very much in the arena of, shall we still fucking bother?
1: What a surprise!
0: (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, desperately unsurprising after what we saw in Meeting People is Easy. They seriously considered calling it a day. That would have been a huge mic drop to release OK Computer and then fuck off, I suppose. But they didn't Um, call it a day, they called it Kid-A. There was sort of this main schism with... uh, Two members of the band at, uh, at either end. Tom wanted to do all the stuff that I've just said. And Ed wanted to make an album of short, melodic, rock-orientated songs closer to the bends than anything else. And Tom was fed up of melody and wanted to focus mm. on rhythm and texture. Phil, Johnny, Colin, kind of in the middle of that Phil, understandably nervous at the suggestion of using a lot of drum machines and yeah. programmed drums, because then what is he for, I suppose? <laughs> <laughs> um, what they did all agree on, eventually, is that they didn't want to do something that they had done before, which was compounded by the fact that there were now loads of other bands doing what Radiohead had done before. Colin said, we felt we had to change everything and we had to move on. And so... Bearing in mind they had agreed on that and that the only, like, sort of... It was the best option by virtue of it being the only idea that anybody had had in the arena of let's move on. They agreed to, for now, just trust in Tom's conviction that this was the path to be followed. That they were going to go learn new instruments, new recording techniques, knowing that they could, if they wanted to, just kind of fall back on old tricks. If they absolutely sort of had to, they wanted to build their own studio in the UK, like a proper studio rather than the the Apple shed they've been using. But the designing and building of it was taking longer than they thought. So in January 1999, they all convened in a proper recording studio in Paris, the Guillaume Tell Studio. Mm. Um, There's no Apple Sheds, there's no Haunted Mansions, there's no no recording on a tour bus. It's a proper studio. Nigel Godrich returns as producer. Guys, what do you think the sessions were like for Radiohead in January
2: 1999 in Paris? Tedious. I would say that they were having a good time rather than bad time because there seems like there's no pressure and they can do new fun shit and play with some stuff. Hmm, yeah. Uh, The exact word I've got written
0: down is Tedious. So I guess all of the points go to Lucas. (laughs) I mean, it's sort of similar to what I said. Yeah. Mm. Uh, From everything the band have said about it, it sounds like they were always about five minutes away from just saying, fuck it, I'm done. Like, I'm out. Uh, It's a band with three guitarists, and they're all being told, well, you you can't play guitar. You're not allowed to play the guitar on this album with three guitarists. Phil, mate, Phil, get off the drums, because we've got a drum machine. (laughs) <laughs> like, go there, yeah. Go stand like. there, Colin. Intact, yeah. Still the bassist, ultimate power.
1: I'm definitely going to be asking for every single song as we go through it, saying, "Right, so what did X member do on this <laughs> yeah, song?" Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think I've mainly sort
0: of worked out uh, a lot of it. Um, it is. It's important to point out that that those initial Paris sessions are exploratory the vibe is supposed to be a bit scary and experimental but a few of the band members were really really struggling Tom like still really struggling with his mental health at this point struggling to communicate and usually the way they work when writing Tom comes in with basically a finished song and the other members then use the lyrics to inform how they would approach the song but Tom had uh, nothing, right? Like absolutely nothing. He he was still struggling with writer's block, or it's an interesting form of writer's block that he had actually, because he was he said he was writing stuff all the time, but he could no longer tell what was good and what wasn't, which really sort of like scared him, and he had little snippets of songs. So for everything that's right placed, he probably would have had do 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 do, and then that's it, nothing. And, and like, he had, like, snatches of words at best, a sentence here and there, but a thousand sentences with none of them sort of matching, none of them part of the same song. Some were just sounds. Some were just drum rhythms that he'd done on a drum machine. And on top of Tom's lack of communication, Nigel Godrich just initially didn't understand why, having mastered something, they wouldn't just do it again. <laughs> like... If you've become really good at one thing, do that thing. Surely, yeah. That that's what Nigel Godrich was was going like. That's what was going on in his head initially. He just kind of couldn't get his his head around why they would want to change. Colin didn't really like the music, right? That Tom was bringing in as inspiration. All of that stuff that I played you, Colin was like, no, nah, I don't really like that." Good start. Uh, sometimes they just didn't know how to contribute. To the process, Ed. We've talked about being the rock guy. He's very much the Steve of the band. He loves the guitar as an instrument. I think he loves the iconography, uh, you know, of, of the guitar. and He just loves being a guitarist.
2: I can tell that on stage. Loves
0: it. Yeah. And I read a quote uh, to you guys a few episodes ago around the end of the OK Computer era, saying how he recognised that they had totally mastered how to play together in a room and suddenly now with these new sessions that wasn't appropriate. They weren't able to work out how to do that when working with this equipment. So people, the way they ended up working is people would have an idea and then go off on their own into a little room or somewhere else in the studio to work on it sequence it, programme it or whatever and then bring it back to the group. Um, Ed struggled with that a lot, and at some points thought, like, you know what, you guys don't need me, if you're going to be doing this, you probably don't need a guitarist, um, Johnny, you know, you do all sorts of mad stuff, so there's a place for you in the band, Tom, you're the primary songwriter, there's no place for me here, I'm not the rhythm section, I'm a guitarist, and I'm, you know, if you guys want to continue as a four-piece, then I'll quietly see myself out. Not lovely Ed. Um they were all using like new modular synths. I mean, do do you guys know kind of the difference between a digital synth and a, and a modular synth and analog synths and stuff like
1: that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So one is cool. digital and the analog's yeah. kind of like well it's more modular. Um yeah. like some would say <laughs> yeah. it's kind of more analog. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the modular ones are more analog.
0: Yeah. 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 You'll no. have seen pictures of them because they look insane. Like Lots modular of wires synths plugging yeah. into sockets
1: and knobs exactly. and dials. But what's the but it's still digital, isn't it? It's still doing, or is it not? It's not doing, like, digital. It's doing, like, we inject a sine wave, and yeah, exactly. that's your bass. And yeah. then it's literally electronically tweaking further and further down a chain. Hundreds of filters to, to create a sound that you
0: want. Yeah, exactly. But digital, oh. it's just, like, whatever. It's a computer. Yeah, it's, like, presets, or, you know, yeah, I want it to sound like a violin, or, yeah, whatever. So they were using modular synths. Johnny had found something called the Ondes Martineau. Uh, which we've talked about a little bit before in a previous season, uh, and I'll come back to you later when it comes up. Uh, and they used very early versions of software like Cubase and Pro Tools to edit things, loop things, and manipulate things, which obviously you can't do when you're a band that plays live because you need to record it, then manipulate it, and record that onto tape. Everyone started coming to terms with the way that these sessions would, would work, and then they left Paris. They were there for something like six weeks, and they achieved... I mean, what would you reckon they achieved? Fuck all, absolutely
1: nothing. But well, it's weird because you say like Tom just had snippets of lines of vocals and mm. ideas and drum beats, and they came with fuck all. But mostly, what the album is, isn't it? Mm. Lots yeah, of yeah. Bits, like exactly. B- so why do they achieve nothing?
0: They achieved nothing. They didn't feel like they had anything that was worth working on. Um, uh, uh, but you know. Uh, I, I will say that along with the snippets of new stuff, uh that, that that Tom had, they they tried working on a few older, sort of more complete things. You know, we have our pin board that has a lot of sort of uh stuff on it. Um just to recap. There's Lift, Big Boots, Big Ideas, the National Anthem, Motion Picture Soundtrack, Life in a Glass House, Follow Me Around, something Lucas named as that sounds like Radiohead. Uh, true Love Waits and How to Disappear Completely
2: and Never Be Found. And a black and white zoomed in photo of Adam on the toilet through the window. <laughs> That's on the pinboard as well. It's- it might come up later. And I don't know who took it or when. Wait, but we, and it I might just- come up. There's <laughs> yeah. a big red string pointing to something else.
0: So in in those like initial para sessions they at least attempted a few of those. Uh, like they definitely worked on How to Disappear Completely and Never Be Found. Uh, when they... Finished a version of that song. Tom said, "That sounds great, but it sounds like old Radiohead." So at the beginning of March, they moved to Copenhagen uh, to Medley Studios. I'm really going to up my game on pronunciation. You yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, you should. yeah.
2: Just just go really, really like confidently with it. Even yeah, if yeah, exactly. Totally wrong.
0: Yeah, Uh <laughs> They spent two weeks in uh, Copenhagen and achieved what they considered to also be basically nothing as well well. Uh, they came away from paris and copenhagen with 50 reels of tape which is about 12 and a half hours of music with none of it actually being a finished song from start to finish uh it contained basic ideas and tracking for four of the songs that would eventually come to fruition And so at this point, falling slightly back to the OK Computer recording sessions, they hired an old mansion called Batsford Park in Gloucestershire to live and record in, starting in April 1999. They agreed if they couldn't come out of the Batsford Park sessions with an album that they considered worth releasing, they were done. When they got there... Tom wrote song titles on the dry erase board in the studio. They were all in sort of various states of development from sort of like figured out but not quite recorded correctly to it's just a fragment that we need to work on. And there were 50 titles. Mm. Wow. Almost immediately they take a week off. (laughs) (laughs) Because as Phil said it,
2: the shouting got louder. Right, okay. I thought you meant after like drawing on a whiteboard. That was a bit... (laughs) Everyone just went, oh, no, fuck this. have a week (laughs) off. (laughs) I'm knackered.
0: (laughs) People stopped talking to each other. Uh, There were lots of arguments. The crux of the arguments were centered around, should we even be a band? What are we doing here? And also general personality clashes. Guys, there's a lot of ego uh, being in a band. uh, And there were lots of conversations about having to swallow that ego and it being okay that maybe one member of the band maybe isn't uh, on a certain song or they, ha- they had to learn new ways to contribute to a song that wasn't like, you know, playing something on it. Uh, again, like, these arguments reached a point where Like the previous should we continue argument where they agreed that they should at least do something different. At this point, they agreed that it had taken them 15 years to get to this point where they had no deadline, no interference from the record label who just sort of trusted them to get on with it. And they could do whatever they want. So they should just stick with it at the very least, like stick with it just a little bit longer. And of course, I imagine there's an incredible pressure of following up. OK, computer. Right. Mm. Yeah. The record label left them alone, saying they weren't in a rush. They undoubtedly would have preferred OK Computer 2, uh, but the band would have felt pressure to do something different. Everything comes with, like, an inherent pressure behind it. In June, so after a couple of months, uh, they leave the mansion and they have a little break. Phil and his wife have their first child. Uh, Tom and Johnny play as a little duo at the Tibetan Freedom Concert, where they, where they debut one new song. Uh, which is tentatively titled Nothing to Fear. So we'll stick that on the on the pin board as well. Tom also attended the G8 summit as part of a demonstration to get first world countries to drop the debt of third world countries. Bono and other entertainers were there, but they were all diverted and moved by German military police. And it kind of further radicalised Tom York's political views, which started coming through in a few of the bits that he would write around this time. And by July 1999... Their new studio is ready, and they feel that they have enough promising material that they move everything there and start another recording session and it's there that Ed starts his online studio diary uh sort of sporadically updated with messages and stories from the recording process all posted onto the radiohead website there's loads of updates, and just to put you know i've been talking sort of quite nebulously about this because we're you know nothing happens to the band other than the fact that they're recording stuff um so just to put into some kind of context where we're at right now the diary starts on july 22nd 1999 they've been working on this album for six months already ed's diary mentions the end of recording being a few days away in april 2000 so that is a year and four months Mm. Ed's diary mentions them preparing a demo of How to Disappear Completely in December 1999. He says things in his entries from, like, September 1999, like, we've been working on this song for nine months now and stuff like that. <laughs> um, it's a, it was a long and difficult process, and instead of finishing all these ideas, Tom would just keep bringing in new fragments of ideas. Nobody could finish anything. Um The agreement at the beginning of the sessions in their new studio was that they were tearing everything up and starting again. So anything that they had achieved in the previous six months, gone. They were starting again now, focusing on getting basic arrangements for songs that were closest to being finished. And by September 1999, they'd made really good progress on songs called Optimistic, Knives Out, You and Who's Army, Life in a Glass House, Follow Me Around, Up on the Ladder, Cut Tooth, Say the Word, and something called Burn the Witch. And And now only uh, one of those... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Only one of those songs that I've just listed appears on Kid A. Yeah. Optimistic. Indeed. Yes. In December 1999, about a year after starting, they had completed six songs. And I have no idea if any of them were from Kid A. They were working on a lot of stuff in this period. Uh, Worth mentioning that they are sort of, in general, the opposite of a rock band a lot of like rock guitarists hear a song and then go, Oh boy, do I have like a fucking perfect solo for this and then solo over it and get really like annoyed when someone edits a bit of their solo out. You know, I've, worked with musicians who are like that, who are kind of like, well, if I'm not on every second of the song, then I'm not going to be on any of it, you know? And there's loads of stories in classic rock that amount to having to rein everyone back from just splurging all over records and songs, uh, desperate to be playing all times and have loads of individual standout moments. Almost every member of Radiohead has at some point discussed not feeling that they're good enough to be in the band. Tom has said that he gets nervous bringing in songs because he doesn't think they'll be good enough and when the others hear those songs they think that they're so good that the often the first suggestion is should we just leave it as it is because I don't want to ruin it yeah <laughs> um everyone gets like really nervous about adding too much or the wrong thing and so their process takes a while even if that time is just finding the confidence in
1: their ideas um that's known as the um, anti-muse. Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> I'm just going, maybe we should... That's good. Stop. Mm-hmm. Stop mm-hmm.
0: there. Yeah. But, uh, More. No, we've got another three weeks of work on this song, I think you'll find. <laughs> um, on uh, Also in December, so on the 10th, they did a webcast... On their website, live from the studio. Uh, That is pretty novel for the time. It's 1999, and they are broadcasting themselves to their fans over the internet. They play Knives Out, and they broadcast some DJ sets, them playing just, like, songs that they like. Tom played a lot of stuff from Warp Records. I wonder what the quality of that was like. Uh, You can watch it on YouTube. I'll I'll show you some. Okay. Um, This... Ed's diary, the fact that each member of the band had their own section of the website, the very well-frequented message board that they ran and posted on and talked with their fans, this is all much more internet-based stuff than any other band was doing around this time. I think it's going um, to be
2: big, that internet. I, I
0: think that's what they were thinking. They were oh, like, yeah. hey, this internet, I reckon... I reckon this good. has got something. Yeah. Well, it isn't good. Is it? Have you to seen that insane uh, clip Bowie. of
2: David Bowie talking yeah. about the internet? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, In 1923, incredible. I think he talks about it. Wow, that's yeah. bad. Incredible. Incredible. Mm. Facts. 1923? Uh, yeah. 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 Wow. David <laughs> Bowie? Yeah. David well, he's, a, he's yeah. a turtle, isn't he? In 1923, yeah. he's talking he's about a, the internet. Yeah, he's a turtle, yeah. Wow. He is he's a turtle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the famous
1: 1923?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. yeah. Wow. 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 wow, Wow. 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 Ed is obviously still struggling at this point. He is yet to find the best way to approach his role in the band. So when they get back to the studio in January 2000, Nigel splits them up into two groups. One group would work on an, an initial idea, and then the second group would add to the idea that was given to them. So that's instead of all five band members being involved in every step of the process for every song. The one catch to that was they weren't allowed to use any acoustic instruments. And this is where Ed, having spent the last year trying to force guitar into these songs, finally realised the strengths of electronic
2: instruments. I can tell you why. Because uh, it's January 2000 and he just survived the millennium bug that didn't happen. And so he trusted computers more maybe that's yeah. what it is maybe there was an inherent distrust that <laughs> yeah. the the, uh,
0: the computers would rise against them at the yeah. end of the year so it wouldn't yeah. be able to reset to zero zero and it would just, <laughs> it would just start attacking people <laughs> the computers get so confused they get angry um, <laughs> uh, he found that contributing a synth part was just as valuable as contributing a guitar part and he said it made him feel like a kid discovering something that sounded cool which is exactly the same instinct that Tom was originally going for when they started the sessions a year earlier and he ed did a complete 180 and suddenly became very into synths nice. <laughs> and editing and manipulating things on the computer and phil tells a story where at one point it had been so long that phil came into the studio saw ed holding a guitar and thought oh that looks a bit weird yeah <laughs> oh, <laughs> ed yeah. recalls the time by saying i've never smoked so much weed in my life yeah <laughs> yeah sure yeah 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 it all goes hand in hand got really yeah, into does, synths and and weed, <laughs> and weed. <laughs> what a time to be alive oh man sounds what a like a great to time to be fair yeah yeah um There were more webcasts in February and March. They played songs that nobody had heard, uh, played something called They're There. They played something called I Am A Wicked Child. Mm. Uh, And they played something called Ed's Scary Song. (laughs) Now, I am going to play you a clip of Ed's Scary Song. Oh, no, actually, I'm a bit worried. Well, yeah, we should put a disclaimer. Mm. It is very scary. Is it? It is. How do you know? Uh, well, because I've heard it. Okay. Uh, no other clues. I've heard it once, <laughs> uh, and it became very. it became too scary for me. Okay, okay so here, here, here it is.
2: We're the orchestra at your board, and we beg for the scraps from your table. All I want is to be like you. Using to play your phone. I'm sounds the speakers below. i so
3: hard to keep still. They will pull you up, they will put out your bones Nothing in the shadow, in the bed Never said anything, I live one the for life To lay in harmony
2: Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I bet fans, I bet Radiohead fans listening to that shitting themselves about the next
1: album. Not that because is, it's scary, s- but because Whoa, it's Whoa, that was very <laughs> well, scary. Well, because it's scary, actually, I reckon. Yeah, Were you scared, reckon? Lucas? I was... I, was, uh, I saw right. you take your headphones off at one point. I yeah. can't speak. I can't even yeah, speak. It's, it's catatonic. It is I bit my
2: fingernails like this. <laughs>
0: God, yeah, him talking about we are the orchestra at the ball and uh, standing in the shadows at the end of your bed and stuff like that. Absolutely terrifying. Wait a minute. Terrifying. It seemed to be a case that once they got into it, they were really into it. It just took a year to get there. Johnny said... That it was a difficult process to get going but once they were up and running it started going too well and we couldn't stop so in December 1999 they'd completed 6 songs and 4 months later in April 2000 they had 24 finished songs so efficient what do you do with all of that stuff then you've got the, luxur- the luxury of picking from it right exactly They considered a double album, they considered a series of shorter things, like splitting it up into EPs and releasing them sporadically. But eventually they did land on the idea of one single disc album that that we have and is called Kid A. In secret they had further plans, but nobody outside of the band was sort of privy to them just yet. The sequencing of that one album, what would go on, in which order, caused a fresh round of arguments that also nearly resulted in them ditching the album altogether and breaking up. Um, They very specifically did not put, quote-unquote, the best songs from the sessions on Kid A. They put the ones that fit together the most successfully or sort of originated from this one place, this one idea, maybe. Um, It was mixed by Nigel and mastered by Chris Blair at Abbey Road Studios, and we talked to Dave Eringer about the recording of the Ultra Vivid Lament, the Manic Street Preachers' 14th studio album, which from start to finish took six weeks. Uh, OK Computer took eight months. Kid A and its associated sessions took 18 months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a year and six months. And God. spoiler alert, guys. That is
2: not even their longest recording time. Isn't even their final four. They beat that. They beat that eventually. What a mode to be in for 18 months as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it must have been very intense. Um, Also, we're in like May or June 2000 at this point, which is about three, four months before the album comes out. They haven't done an interview. They haven't performed on TV. They haven't done anything. The public has not heard from them except through Ed's diaries and and the webcasts. They delivered this insanely influential, popular landscape-changing album, blah 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 uh, in OK Computer, and then they just disappeared. And there was a lot of speculation about the album that was gonna follow OK Computer, and the silence just added to the hype, so much so that journalists for just normal newspapers like the Times were tasked with going to Oxford to see if they could figure out what Radiohead were doing Amazing. and what was taking so long. They would camp outside their houses
1: and stuff. That is um, intense because of the camping. Because so of the aspect. camping aspect. Yeah. How many nights? They- how many nights did you spend there, Adam?
0: uh how many nights did i spend as a 10 year old planned planned for three but the weather got a bit bad on the third night yeah. so i just did the two yeah. i hadn't heard of radiohead yet but uh yeah. and i was uh 10 years old but i just knew that there was something important happening in oxford yeah uh, all of the journalists and everything it turns out they would have to just wait for radiohead to come to them and when it came to promoting and selling the album, the band obviously wanted to avoid the issues that they had had around OK Computer with those very intense, long, repetitive interviews. They had also become very disenchanted with the music industry and its various machinations and they also had absolutely no interest in being famous, so it was decided for Kid A they would do the absolute minimum in terms of traditional promotional duties they did a handful of interviews before the album came out. Two big ones, one for the US market with Spin Magazine and one for the UK with Q Magazine. They didn't do any photo shoots. They instead provided their own photos to those two specific publications. For Q Magazine, they were portrait photos that had been photoshopped to make them look a bit like inhuman, like a bit alien they changed the shape of their faces and made their eyes look kind of weird they were definitely having a lot of fun with it and the photos also came with a sixth person who nobody recognized so good and turned out to be a composite of all of the radiohead members to make a
1: fake person are we about to be introduced to a character that i don't understand
0: not yet No, no 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 not yet this is the like the the beginnings of them starting to do fuckery like that. Q Magazine thought they were taking the piss initially. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) then saw the anti-marketing angle behind it and had a little bit of fun of their own with it. So rather than just print the photos in the magazine, they put those photos on billboards and on digital tube advert screens and projected them onto the Houses of Parliament and then photographed that, kind of saying that they were turning Radiohead back into the product that they were trying to avoid being. Nice. And Radiohead loved that. They loved that people were engaging with the game in interesting ways, rather than just doing the standard sort of, you do an interview, then we review the album, and here's your photo shoot sort of stuff. For Spin, in the US, the photos they sent were of each individual band member holding little signs that listed everything they'd like to change about their appearance, and then the photos were photoshopped to take all of that into account. And they look like glossy american celebrities they did things like remove bags from colin's eyes changed ed's teeth they gave phil hair <laughs> <laughs> and they made it so that both of tom's eyes matched uh, and those were the only photos that they sent um it's, a, it's an interesting little comment on photoshopping and how you can change reality with it like in the year 2000 that's pretty interesting they are you know kind of ahead of their time in in a lot of ways uh Another way that they were ahead of their time was their use of the internet to promote Kid A. The landscape of the music industry was changing pretty rapidly even by the year 2000. And guys, we'll have some actual personal experience with this. Um albums were never really leaked uh, even as recently as the 90s. As a phenomenon it's only about 20 years old. Journalists would get advanced copies. Um, and radio stations would get promo singles and yeah they might be like passed around or taped or whatever I was going to say wouldn't they get taped yeah but in in terms of such a wide scale like using the internet to leak an album started happening in 1999 and that's with the launch of Napster which is a a peer-to-peer file sharing software service now I think we are all too young to have used
1: Napster yeah right I think we all used its younger brother though Yes, Caza. exactly. So Kazar Lime and LimeWire. Bear are kind of like, Share. Bear Share,
0: I remember that. Yeah. I, I do have a very specific memory of being in uh, drama in secondary school um, around this time. And my drama teacher... Mr. O'Brien? to play a song. Yeah, Mr. O'Brien. Hello, Mr. O'Brien. Um, Ed? No, Mike uh Mm. we we don't we don't really have time this episode but at one point I should talk about how important that man is in my life but um yeah (laughs) um I remember him being very excited because he was like oh my god I just I wanted to play this song for a performance and I went online and I could just find it and it was free it's this thing called Napster that was the first time I'd heard of Napster he couldn't believe that that was a thing and I remember thinking like well that doesn't sound real Like, that doesn't sound like something that exists. I don't understand that at all. And then Metallica
2: brought it down, didn't they? Well, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, so so people would upload audio files and then others would download them. That's what peer-to-peer means. And it was all free. And it lasted two years. Like, this huge... Like, everyone's heard of Napster... But Napster was only online for two years. It got shut down in 2001 after numerous lawsuits from roughly everyone in the music industry. But uh, the the damage was just, like, completely done. And this era of Radiohead exists exactly in that sweet spot when Napster was the go-to place. And then it goes, yeah, LimeWire, Kazar, and then we'll have all downloaded music illegally on torrents, right? No. No. Okay, I have. I'm going to incriminate myself no. on the podcast. You know what? Arrest me. Um, <laughs> Come for me. <laughs> and then you kind of go from, uh, like, you know, this the the online consumption of the the illegal online consumption of music to the legal consumption of of online music, which is why things like Spotify then comes about. It's why iTunes and then Spotify sort of comes about. And the future for you know online music is pretty. Uh, pretty bleak. But do you guys
1: remember what it was like to use LimeWire? I have only very hazy memories of it. Oh, yeah. Blink182, yeah. Blink, blink 182, I'm feeling this new version, new bigtits.exe. Yeah, you, you download something and you weren't <laughs> sure .exe. exactly what it was going to be. And then you uh, double-click it, trusting it, and then virus. some reason,
2: any, <laughs> any kind of uh, cover, if you wanted a punk cover of something, it said it was by MXPX. Doesn't matter who fucking... Did it? Yeah, weird. weird what does thing. that mean? What's what? It's a band. It's a punk band. But um, yeah. For okay. Some reason it would always just say that. Yeah. There is, of course,
0: infamously around this exact time, a new Radiohead recording gets released onto Napster, and it's unintended by Muse. Brilliant. <laughs> um, the oh, I, rem- I my
1: uh, friend of the podcast Ed um, O'Brien. O'Brien O'Brien. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, he had more he had more ready internet access than me i still had to like i think he had broadband before me <laughs> so i had to like ask the parents and be like can i knock out the phones and use it for a few hours whereas he could do it so he was my go he's my guy he'd make me little cds and yeah, I'd be like here's my here's my requests stick yeah. on a cd for me did you ever print off the album artwork and slide that in well no because i'd 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 get compilations Oh, nice. I like a playlist. You know, I like a playlist. Um, I used to make playlists with artwork and stuff. And, uh, for people. and. That's what I do now. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's true. And um, I remember asking for a Fallout, uh, not Fallout Boy, Newfound Glory song. Mm. And he put it on the thing for me. It was like, Lucas, this is like the worst song I've ever heard. It's just the same thing over and over again. I was like, oh, don't be so fucking dismissive. It's fine. It's all right. And then listen to it. And it's because the download was just the chorus. Like, Fifteen times in a row for three minutes. <laughs> and I was like, well yeah, that's why you think it's it's the repetitive it's so same it Repetitive. Because the so- version you've got is just the chorus. <laughs> that is ex-
0: that exact thing happened to me with when I first said everything in its right place and it turned out to just be the song. Um, yeah.
2: I I, <laughs> I thought uh, I think it was when um brand new we were gonna release Daisy and uh I can't remember the track, uh something about a bed. Um was released and you could kind of stream it on their website or something like that and i clicked it and the internet was fucking up so it was just like sort of noise their like, new experimental I was like, I direction don't, oh, i don't like this i don't think i like this oh, oh is it did good? you try and convince yourself
0: <laughs> yeah, that you like yeah. it? it's like listening to kid a for the first time you yeah go, oh i don't think i like oh, this <laughs> oh, it's, oh, yeah oh difficult <laughs> difficult difficult <laughs> Uh, Anyway, look, as I said, they wanted to not engage with the typical you-must-get-your-music-played-on-this-radio-station-and-have-a-video-on-MTV-by-this-time-and-sell-this-many-singles-in-order-to-sell-this-many-albums. So they didn't release a single at all. Uh, There is no single from Kid A, nor were there any advanced copies for journalists or label executives to listen to. It was... Kind of so it didn't get leaked, but also part of the Radiohead game. There were listening events. So either in a room or in a few cases on a bus driving from Hollywood to Malibu in California, where people would sit and listen to the album all the way through. Uh, There were no music videos, but they did provide 10-second clips that featured little snippets of music from Kid A, and animation of these small, slightly scary bear characters that they had recently come up with and would form a big part of the Kid A artwork and aesthetic. Um, As we know, Radiohead loved their albums to have these kind of distinct uh, aesthetics that touch every part of the release, and these small clips were exactly like that, and they were called Blips. And they were shown on TV in ad breaks and on MTV, but more importantly, they were all hosted on the internet, and the clips kind of took the form of, like, you'd hear 10 seconds of the keyboard from everything in its right place whilst watching a humanoid bear jump into a swimming pool, Mm. uh, for instance. Sure, And that was their most traditional promo. Um, The Blips were described as context-free animated nightmares that radiated mystery and helped play into the arty mystique of Radiohead. We are fully now... They have fully transformed into a band that embody the phrase
2: "arty mystique."
0: (laughs) I think. Did you get? I'm guessing you guys might have got that from the album, even if you
2: weren't engaging with all of the stuff around it. Yeah, everything you said sounds like this album sounds. You know, (laughs) yeah, even the bear.
0: (laughs) Whilst not like necessarily traditional promotion, they did know what they were doing. And they were presenting something kind of new, interesting, novel. Uh, The same went for their general use of the internet as a tool to promote Kid A. They'd done a little bit of it for OK Computer. We talked about their website. But the internet was not, still even in 2000, not a place that anybody actually promoted music like record labels weren't using it. Napster was kind of where you went to get free music and that was kind of your only music destination on, on the internet. And there was blogs like cropping up and stuff. Um we'll go into more depth, but that is just a sort of like this is this is this is a cool fact uh to present. You know, bear in mind it's 2000 it's twenty-two years ago, record companies were still totally reliant on the radio and MTV and selling records in Virgin Megastores or or whatever. Here, Here is the fact that I think is cool. Year 2000, 22 years ago, Kid A was the first album you could stream. Re- what, through their website, or...? Yeah, well, sort of. Right. In, in 2000, you could stream the album. Before its release, they put it up for streaming through its own bespoke player. Yeah. Um, Because Radiohead had been active on the internet since 1996, and because their uh, music attracts, um, you know... Losers. Pe- people who would own computers, I guess. Yeah, yeah losers. Leaves, uh, leaves uh, nerds, tweets, I yeah. guess. Yeah, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> they had a big online following already before any other band really did. And they obviously did those webcasts that we talked about and they had the message board, but they also had hundreds of fan sites and saw this and realised that they could make that work for them if they engaged with it and created, as we would probably call it today shareable content but it didn't even have a name back then so they created a little java applet uh which they named the i blip with a little lowercase i taken from the i mac which had only come out about two years previously um that is
1: cool though put an i before a thing it makes isn't it, it yeah tech doesn't cool. it, it futuristic it, it, it makes it futuristic yeah. it makes it very futuristic <laughs>
0: The iBlip, that little Java applet, it had all the blips on there as well as exclusive artwork, photos. Was it
1: Java? Back in those days probably was Macromedia Flash, wasn't it?
0: It was Java. It was Java. Yeah. Um, It had live tracks, band news and stuff like that. And it had the ability to stream the album in full as one long audio track. The most important thing about the applet was, one, it was embeddable. So any site could put it on their page okay. and say, we're a Radiohead fan site where you can listen to the new Radiohead album. And two, it included a button to pre-order the album on Amazon. Now that sounds like absolutely nothing, which for any other like band we've done, would we ever say, oh, this had a link to pre-order from Amazon? No, but it's notable here because it's one of the first major albums to ever
1: do that. Um, amazon as well like amazon back then would have been yeah I remember soul. yeah i remember not trusting amazon because it was like it was kind of the new one i used uh, tv, play. yeah play.com play. yeah much more to be trusted by my
0: DVDs yeah well, it was also cheaper Games. play.com used to be really cheap yeah. even when amazon was trusted I used to use play.com uh, I, don't, I don't think it exists now it used to be play 247 they rebranded
1: to and then and i don't think it even exists anymore um R. You can, do you know, you can go on Amazon and you can look at every purchase you've ever made. Bad idea. Terrifying. <laughs> that's a terrible idea. I've gone back to like 2005 and like looked at like the first things I ever bought on uh, on Amazon. What was it? What did you buy? First thing I ever bought on Amazon was uh, the pl- the placebo live DVD. <laughs> oh, an industrial right. about their of meds Lube. tour. Do you, really? Do you like placebo? Was that surprising? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Well,
0: because thought, they yeah. are not. You know they're they're kind of a bit weird, aren't they? Placebo. Yeah, good band. Placebo
1: make me a bit horny. They're yeah, you have a, bit you've of a always, horny band. You always said his voice makes
2: you a bit horny.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also a band that you sim- simply cannot sing along to without doing an impression.
0: Right. Yes, yeah, so I do the same with REM. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't not do the nasal Rs. Yeah. Um, that little app was embedded on more than
2: 1000 sites, which is pretty A much 1000 whole the int- websites. Lucas, that's the entire internet in those of days. On the isn't internet. It? <laughs> Can I tell you what my first uh, Amazon purchase was? An Xbox 360 VGA AV cable, 20 quid. Wow, lovely. I remember
1: that I remember that cable well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it was streamed more than 400,000 times. And that was three weeks before the album was due to come out. In many ways, they kind of leaked their own album... Um, And of course it appeared instantly on file sharing sites and Napster, but that was great for the band because it just meant that more people heard it. And they had already figured out in the year 2000 that it was just important to get people to listen to it. And if they really liked it, they would actually buy it. Yeah. Uh, Tom said that Napster encourages enthusiasm for music in a way that the
2: music industry has long forgotten how to do. I do specifically remember being like, what are these musicians annoyed about Napster for? That's just greedy and I remember thinking, let us download it for free. And being annoyed at Metallica thinking they were like dweebs. Um, for like, <laughs> they are dweebs though, aren't they? How dare they want like money for their product.
1: They are fucking
0: dweebs. But now, you know, that set up a chain reaction where now nobody gets paid for any music yeah. that's released on yeah, the yeah. internet. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe they, maybe Metallica
1: were right. Why should you? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, uh, guys, um, I lied. My first purchase on Amazon wasn't the meds. CD an industrial barrel sized vat of lube. Um, no. <laughs> when that you was said six placa- months, six months later. I thought you were going to say I bought a placenta, not placebo. Uh, it was actually an ATMT Storm. 20 gigabyte mp3 player
2: lovely oh 20 whole how much? Gigabytes? 20
1: gigabytes how much that cost you 100, wow. 115 pounds <laughs> pence. what year oh 2006 nice. 6th of january 2006 christmas money christmas yeah. money oh, yeah, so you yeah, yeah. went on that and then i bought myself the meds cd dvd and then not long later actually only in june i bought the same the same mp3 player oh because i lost it oh, oh
0: <laughs> devastating is, devastating yeah. Um, Kid A, the way that it was promoted, it kind of became a litmus test and proof that the internet was selling records. Huge spoilers, but this album, despite being available for free on the internet for weeks before it came out, went to number one straight away in both the UK and the US. It was their first number one album in the United States. Ok Computer only reached 21. And there was no single, no radio play, no music video on MTV. It was almost purely innovative internet-based promotion regardless of what we end up thinking about the album itself it's important to note that this was kind of the canary in the coal mine for using the internet as a way to sell or distribute music and as we just said for better and for worse i reckon um whilst all of this was being cooked up and you know led out onto the internet. They were also rehearsing how to play these songs live. This whole album is backwards for Radiohead. Usually they would write and rehearse the songs, perfect them, record them, meaning they were just kind of ready to be played live as soon as they'd figured out how to record them. And these were all recorded in little bits, and then they had to work out how to play them live as a band of five people. Ed said... You couldn't do Kid A live and be true to the record. You have to do it like an art installation. When we played live, we put the human element back into the songs. Uh, Phil said that they found new life in the songs. And in June 2000, before anyone had seen any of the blips or heard any of the album at all, before any of the promotion started, they embarked upon what they would call a Mediterranean tour. They uh, played in France, Italy, Spain, Greece, a couple of dates in Germany, which is not part of the Mediterranean, and they only played in very old, advertising-free venues. So they played in old Roman amphitheaters and theaters that were hundreds of years old, and they were much smaller than the arenas that they'd been playing previously, so they sold out extravagantly quickly. About half of their set was new songs that nobody had heard. Radiohead fans seemed to be very much enjoying the new material, and because of the new things, like Napster and file sharing, uh, things would happen like they'd play in Barcelona... And the next day, the whole show was being shared as perfectly separated MP3s. So everybody was hearing these recordings of new Radiohead songs being performed live, which just sort of compounded the hype around this long-awaited fourth album. Colin talks about them playing the songs for the first time ever on the first night of the tour. And then at the end of the tour in Israel, three weeks later, the audience knew all the words and were singing along. (laughs) And the band loved it. And the fans loved it. In In amongst that, they did one UK date, because legendary musician and huge Radiohead influence, and it turns out fan of Radiohead, Scott Walker, asked them to perform at his curation of the Meltdown Festival in London. UK journalists attended that show because it would have been their first chance to get to hear all this new Radiohead material, and they all seemed confused. The big Takeaway from a lot of the reviews of those shows is we don't know what this is
1: really. Well, yeah, it's, uh, uh, and uh, um, full of it's, energy, full of energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's 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 easy to look at it and just be like, well, why why do not someone else? But it's because people didn't listen to electronic unless you specifically. Was someone who listened to like electro? Mm. You'd not heard stuff like this before, really. That's true. I'm doing a that's big why nod of my head. yes. that's why people were like, "What is this?" Whereas now we'd just be like, "Oh, they've gone ele- They've gone yeah. electronics." Yeah. If like Mumford and Sons, Steve, they did, band, let's the say, uh, <laughs> just released a, re- you wouldn't be like, "What is it?" You'd just be like, "Oh, they've done that." You wouldn't be like confused as to like what they'd done because you have yeah, heard yeah. it before. Well, did yeah, they- oh, yeah. Also, did they? <laughs> did they what mumford and sons yes they did what are these like I, what are these like midi banjos
0: i don't know if they went electronic really but they went electric they did like a dylan they've got like a rock album i think because on the front cover they're all wearing leather jackets cool. And then they <laughs> did oh, instead oh, of the tweed yeah. <laughs> then they did dubstep did they yeah no
3: yeah
0: oh that's a shame yeah. um something just to pick out of, of, of what i've just said there is, is the phrase advertising free um A lot of the band had read the book No Logo by Naomi Klein when it came out earlier in in 2000. It tackles the subject of consumerism, the human cost behind it, and how these large companies that we see advertised everywhere exploited human beings and sort of broke their human rights. Uh, I've read it. I have a copy on my shelf. It's a deeply interesting, slightly harrowing book. So Radiohead were determined to not add to that cycle when they toured in terms of having advertisers and sponsors. They also wanted to create their own space with superior sound equipment in order to get across what they were doing with the new stuff when you compare it to what was available in standard venues. So in September 2000, when they set out on their UK and European tour, they kind of built their own venue. Cool. They didn't go to traditional venues and instead their tour took in parks, fields and other open spaces and they brought with them their own large tent. Um, It held 10,000 people and in order to cut down on sort of like their emissions as well, they would do two to four nights in each location rather than touring it constantly. It was their own... Sponsor free space with this great sound system, and they build the tour like it was a Victorian freak show because they were in like this big circus style big tent. I love it. And the posters were in like a Victorian style that said, Notice to the public, Radiohead under a big top. A genuine freak show, 150,000 volts of electricity, mobiles chirping, (laughs) unsurpassed novelties. uh, And then uh, at the bottom, it just says, fear stalks the land. Um,
2: They're so scary. (laughs) They are
0: scary. On the tour, the set lists again were about half and half old and new songs, sometimes slightly in favour of new. And the tour started around four weeks before the album was released. In fact, only four dates of the entire 21-date tour take place after the album had actually come out. However, of course, the album had actually been streaming and live files had been shared, so fans knew the songs. And also, when I say new songs were being played, I don't mean songs from Kid A. These were songs... These songs were from the entirety of the the sessions that they had just wrapped up. So it included songs like Dollars and Cents, Knives Out, I Might Be Wrong, and uh, Nothing to Fear, which had now been renamed to Egyptian Song. Um, And then, towards the end of their UK and European tour, Kid A is released on October the 2nd, 2000. It's 10 tracks and 50 minutes long. It's produced and mixed by Nigel Godrich and Radiohead. It's mastered by Chris Blair at Abbey Road Studios. And the artwork is by Stanley Donwood, as always, and someone who's never worked with Radiohead before, someone called Chock. Spelled T-C-H-O-C-K. Is it Tom? Is it Tom?
2: Chock. Now, who
0: would that be? Tom. Tom. It's Tom Yorke.
2: He's probably... Well, Chock.
0: We know it. Tom chock. It, it's, yeah, o
1: it's Tom Lord. It. stands for. No, it's Tom. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just Tom. It's
0: just Tom. Tom's just, Tom.
2: just Tom. Yeah. Just Tom. What, wasn't he Count Chocula before? What was he? What, <laughs> what was he? <laughs> at, at some
0: point. At some point, Chock becomes. Uh, Dr. Choc. Okay, sure. He, at some point he earns <laughs> a PhD, a PhD yes. in whatever it is that he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he has previously been known as uh, the White Chocolate Farm. That's You're it, right, yeah. yes. Not Count Chocula. Uh, no, not Count Chocula, yeah. who is in fact a cereal uh, mascot from the United States of America. Mm. Um, let's talk about the artwork. Since we're talking about the artwork, similar to the artwork for OK Computer, uh, the artwork for Kid A was created alongside the album. So there's a year and a half's worth of artwork for it. Um and Tom had an even more active role uh this time. Talk to me about at the very least you'll have seen the front cover.
2: A lot of mountains in it and fucking mm. volcanoes mm. and
1: That remember it? You mm. say it say again. <laughs> Just drag it up now. <laughs> yeah. I reckon. You've, yeah.
2: You've okay. got to be kidding. Eh? Oh because... yeah,
1: some mountains. Yeah.
2: I should have put in some rules at the beginning of this mm. episode. Yeah, you didn't know, did mountains.
1: you? So, <laughs> mm. so mountains with a kind of, like a, some kind of lines. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And it's set in, and it's like, it, it's in, it's in Mount, it's in like Mount. Mordor. Yeah. It's, Mordor. it's got like a
0: red sky,
1: hasn't it? Yeah. Which yeah. is it's Shepherd's Delight. Looks...
0: Does it, does it look dystopian?
2: It does a bit. I, I get the, the volcanoes are kind of like, look a bit like um, chimneys that spurt out fire from factories. Mm, It definitely definitely looks apocalyptic. It looks a bit like a mountainous Blade Runner. It does, yeah, like that opening
0: shot of Blade Runner where the explosions are coming out of the the turrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom and Stanley painted these huge canvases using things like glue and knives and sticks to make these big paintings, and then they'd photograph them and manipulate them in Photoshop, which is what you can see on the front cover. Um, They made lots of images like that they're kind of eerie digital landscapes or digital interpretations of natural scenes. Because, yes, they're mountains, but there's something not quite right about them. You'd never go like, oh, it's a photo of some mountains or it's a photo realistic painting of some mountains. There's something off about it all and it's because it's been manipulated in Photoshop. There's literally hundreds of them. That, like, it's huge. Um, I have an entire book of just the artwork from the Kid A era. Um, and they couldn't decide what they want, and they pinned printouts of them all around the studio until it became apparent which one they should use. And it's here that Tom said that he truly began to appreciate the connection the music should have with the artwork and how they should inform one another and be very cohesive. And you can see some of the themes of the album in the artwork I think um just to re- like really blatantly there's a lot of ice on the front cover and there's a line on the album about an ice age coming um, still Stanley and Tom were like obsessed with this website called worldwatch.com which posted statistics on the ever-looming threat of climate change uh, and there is a page dedicated in the art booklet that came with the special edition which is made to look like a children's storybook. Uh, there's a page in it that just lists some of those statistics and provides a link to the website to read more and again this is the year 2000 and they're giving people information on by how much our polar ice caps have shrunk in the previous years um, and that's exactly what inspired the use of big powerful ice covered mountains on the front cover um, there's a small red swimming pool on the album Spine and also on the disc which was inspired by the 1988 graphic novel Brought to Light by Alan Moore and Bill Sienkiewicz uh, in which the number of people killed by state terrorism is measured in swimming pools filled with blood, um, and Stanley said that that image kind of like haunted him during the whole recording of the album, calling it a symbol
2: of looming danger. Uh, how how do you feel about the artwork? It's a bit, it's a bit scary, isn't it? It's a bit panicky and it's a bit foreboding, and that's what the album is, right? Mm. mm. Um. If it had a lovely blue sky. Lovely. Lovely. Okay. lovely but maybe it wouldn't alpine. fit the album. Kid, a- Kid alpine. But it, Okay, we're not, gonna do a not, lot of that.
0: That's we, not anything, is it? Little... What I just did there. <laughs> sorry.
2: Sorry, Sorry, everyone at home. Uh,
1: I mean I mean you can't really take the piss out of Steve for doing it because Radiohead themselves literally did it where they did Kid Amnesiac. <laughs> no, it's not Kid Amnesiac, it's Kid
0: Amnesia. Amnesiac. They don't even finish the full album title. Just gave up.
1: <laughs> uh, they
2: just stopped. Yeah, it really fits. What do you think, Lucas? No real opinion.
1: Yeah, really. It's some mountains in it. It says kiddo at the top there. Some, out- yeah. some mountains in it. The sky happens to be red. Kind of looks like there might be ice. Yep. Like yep. some reflective ice. Yeah. Reminds me of Batman Begins. Okay.
0: Yeah, the, where where he's saying rub your chest, not your arms. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liam Neeson deeply wants Christian Bell to rub his chest for him while they're all alone (laughs) on the ice-covered lake. Rub your chest. Weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, In the standard edition of the Kid A CD, there are two artwork booklets. One of them is hidden. Um, The normal one in the front is more of the weird, digitally manipulated paintings of landscapes, notably with no lyrics provided. In a first for Radiohead, they did not print the lyrics for Kid A. Well, you don't really need to do. Exactly. They're so obvious. You can just hear them <laughs> oh, uh, I was, yeah. was going to say the opposite. Huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> the second booklet was hidden behind the disc tray uh, that was solid black, so you couldn't see behind it, and you had to prise it open to get to it. You wouldn't necessarily know it was there. And it was printed like their tour announcements uh like a Victorian newspaper almost. I think that's the closest I can get to kind of describing it for you without showing you it. And it had ramblings in it, some lyrics from Kid A songs, some lyrics from songs that would end up on future albums, and some lyrics for songs that never get released or get released in over a decade's time, and some that have no basis in any songs that we know about. Um, As well as weird cartoon drawings of stick figures more bears some demons a weird demonic caricature of tony blair uh it's it's a very odd little piece of stuff and i've gotten rid of my copy of it and now i need to find another one um it's also obviously where the bear logo comes into play and i know that you've both seen the bear logo at some point of
1: course uh yeah because um we 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 ripped it off for the we hour. did,
0: we did, and but that, that can't that, have been your first uh, experience with the Radiohead logo.
1: Well, I'll tell you something, Adam, it is.
0: Was it? Really? You yeah. had you had no idea that that was their, their logo be- before?
2: Nah. Oh, interesting. My uh, graphics interesting. teacher in college was big into Radiohead, and so when we were doing like things like making a painting and then scanning it and manipulating it on Photoshop, he was very much showing us, I think he showed us Amnesiac, actually, the uh, artwork for that and stuff for it. The library book stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool.
0: That's very interesting. We'll get onto that in uh, eight weeks' time. (laughs) Um, That that bear logo is just so synonymous with Radiohead now. Um, Like, uh, when they announced, they didn't even announce their name for Glastonbury 2017. They just posted a photo of the pyramid field with the bear logo stamped into the grass and people went, ah, it's Radiohead. Um, Guys, the album's called Kid A, What's that about?
1: I reckon they they thought they're going to have more goes at it. And so they were like, they're going to do Kid B. Mm-hmm. 26 more albums. And yeah. then Kid yeah. C yeah. and then yeah. Kid D. No, no, not 26, because then they'd go to, to Teenager A and Teenager B. Right, okay. And that's just like so going more, to the start of yeah. a concept of albums. Mm, Almost like the
0: Sufjan Stevens sort of, um, I'm going to do an album for every state in the yeah. in the US. Yeah, so where's I mean, he up to? He, well, he, his second one came out about 15 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: not to say he's given up. You never know.
1: That's my uh, idea.
2: I absolutely have no idea. Genuinely, uh, d- d- does it evoke
0: anything for you or sci-fi? Mm, it does sound very sci-fi, right? It is a bit android-like, android as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like a little
1: robot boy. Yeah, called Kid A. There's lots of
0: um discussion about how it could refer to like the first human clone. Nice. Would be named like Kid A yeah. or like an anonymous human. But it does feel sci-fi and futuristic in the same way that the album uh feels sci-fi and futuristic. Um it, it came from a setting on Tom Sequencer. Oh, it was there, there there was a setting on there that was just called Kid A. Great. Uh and and he liked that it had no meaning. He he said if you call the album something specific, then people will think a certain thing about it and it will be driven in a certain way. I mean, people do that anyway. But, yeah, he just saw it, liked it and went, right, that's that then. There are a couple of other titles, obviously, in uh, in contention. One was Emperor's New Clothes, which I think is pretty funny. Yeah.
1: Wait, but that but it's called Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 sure. Sure. Very I'll ahead of their time. That. Yeah.
0: That, uh... Movie huh? wouldn't have come out for a while mm.
1: and he doesn't he does wear different clothes he wears like a poncho mm-hmm. because yeah. it's kind of all that can fit when you're a, a llama yeah there's also
0: that meme that goes around about how this album predicted the release of the animated movie with Sid the sloth in it
1: fuck sake Ice Age coming. I've got that joke in my notes. It's Ice Adam. Age coming. Yeah, very yeah. prescient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's like yeah. heard about, it's about a year and a half before Ice Age comes out. I've written a yeah. whole bit about it. Good. I'll well, do it anyway. That. I'll do it anyway. I'll do it anyway. Okay, okay. I'll do it anyway. Good.
0: I'll do it
1: anyway. <laughs> There's the tease. You're you're forgotten. <laughs>
0: uh, the, one of the other titles uh, considered for this album was. The greatest driving music in the world ever, volume three. Yeah, good. That's very good. I like wish. that. Yeah. That That's would have been great. That's very good. <laughs> um, much has been made of this
1: album being a huge left turn in their career. You made a whole thing about it, and it's why I was interested to listen to this album. Yeah. What do you reckon? It's a bit of a left turn. Yeah? Yeah, a bit in bit, 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 it. How much? I mean, not like it's not like they went from Pablo Honey to this, right? Yeah, this is my point exactly. There yes. is a there is a a, be, a through line, but it's still, you know, there's not much guitar on it, is there? There's not much recognizable guitar mm, on it. Yeah, yeah I fine. think
0: that's that's were probably you? the way you put it. Steve, were you were you like? It's difficult to, to say to us like, were you surprised by this? Because obviously, the famous thing about Kid A is yeah. it's different. But did
2: did did it surprise you in any way? No, it's kind of exactly how what I expected. To be totally honest, not like I predicted the chord changes, but um, sure. but we've previously talked about it, haven't we? Like I've I've come in with context that people wouldn't have had at the time. Um, I've come in knowing this is supposed to be them burning down what they achieved before with OK Computer, from what I understand. Um, right. But how much I wasn't sure, but this is like Does their it? know your enemy to their this is my truth, right. Yeah, that's a good way um, of putting it. Al- al- although weirdly, I would
0: then say that actually this is the lifeblood. Yeah. In terms of like suddenly a rock band is
2: using synths, yeah, there's, fair, a, there's yeah. a direct correlation there. <laughs> but they recorded shitloads of they, they basically recorded a double album, right? Uh, yeah, more more than a double album. Yeah, yeah, suck, yeah, yeah. You're right. Suck you're right. on yeah. balls. Uh, suck of I came in. <laughs> I came in very sceptical and afraid, Adam, because I loved OK Computer so much. And you knew that this album was quote-unquote difficult, right? Yeah.
0: And I think that the left turn of it, this is my big take, I think it's overstated. But I also think that it's understated. Yeah? Mm, Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think all of the surface-level stuff is overstated and all of the the behind-the-scenes inner workings of the album stuff Is understated. In this progression from OK Computer, if you were paying lots of attention to OK Computer, it's not that surprising, this progression. I don't think. All of the atmosphere, the experimental touches, the bringing in of technology is all there on OK Computer. I think maybe people weren't expecting them to go like all in. on those aspects of it, right? Like if you took out all of the experimental touches, the electronic bits of OK Computer, all of the atmosphere, then you're kind of you've got Kid A in your hand if you if you kind of do that.
2: I was gonna say OK Computer is like a it is a natural stepping stone, not that I'd ever want to call OK Computer a stepping stone between the Bends and Kid A. Like you've got to mm-hmm. go via OK Computer, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um it's also famously the album with no guitars. Like you said, like mm. there's not a lot of guitar on it. To be fair, there are only two tracks that probably have recognisable guitars, maybe three if you're paying attention. If you're really paying attention, then there's five or six that have guitar on them. But there's no guitar parts, right? There's no riffs. There's a bit of riffs. Is there? I think there might be one riff. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean but other than that, it's pretty riffless. Yeah, it's I love I love melody. And there's not a lot of melody. Mm, it, it's all tone. It's all tone and it's all very horizontal singing pattern, Adam. Yeah, we will we will point oh, that out. Yes. Yeah, but um, hmm.
0: uh like yeah, but it, it just kind of enhances like it goes all in on electronica as a genre rather than Electronic instruments as part of the process, like they did on on OK Computer, uh, but I, I think you're right in that this is all tone, but the tone is in keeping with their previous work. It's a pretty miserable album, right? Yeah. In kind of the same ways that that the
2: previous albums have been similarly miserable. Yeah, it's bleak. And I think you're right. I think if you strip away the rock of OK Computer. There's a rotten core, which is, is this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think that
0: all of the like, whoa, what they're doing is so different to what they've done before. It's kind of a little bit overstated in terms of all of that surface level stuff. However, in terms of the way that we've looked at how the band like work as a band, they completely reinvented themselves. Um, manix, Muse, they genre hop Manix kind of do it the same way as Radiohead do it, where they'll have an album that is in a specific genre and the whole album will be dedicated to that sort of idea. I'm thinking, like, Lifeblood, Futurology, Rewind, the film. You know, they're all built around specific, stylistic ideas. Muse do it, like, fucking... Every track on an album has a different genre or whatever. But neither of them, manix nor Muse, neither of them reinvent the way that they work. at at their core, you know, even if it's got a synth on it or it's got a distorted riff on it, a Muse song still kind of sounds a bit like a Muse song. And Radiohead had been recording in a certain way, all playing in the same room, having rehearsed songs a lot. They'd been writing in a certain way, waiting for Tom to come in with basically a full song and then augmenting it as a band. And this one is just all fragments, worked on as a group from the ground up with very few full songs ready to go recorded one part at a time heavily edited manipulated using computers or they would jam in a room for half an hour on one loop and use that as a basis to form a song around by editing it and chopping it up a few of the songs sound like a band who are just kind of grooving on one thing and that's because it's exactly what they were doing um and we should recognise here without going into it too much that we're talking about the creation and recording of two albums uh if you if people didn't know that i'd be surprised but there might be some who don't um adam i i i didn't know that Interesting
1: until today. Interesting. Not not just now, like yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Like, like two hours ago. Interesting. That's interesting. But there was a tension between this new way of working with little bits being recorded separately and the older way of working with songs being worked up as a group and rehearsed, and then this third way of working, which is editing jams. Kid A is just the album that represents the newer way of recording the the little bits, all of that stuff those processes and the way that they blend them that is entirely different that is completely different to what they have done on any previous album um they were kind of inspired by talking heads on remain in light where every song on that album incidentally one of my favorite albums of all time every song on that album started as an extended jam and they kind of then cut it down into songs um and that inspiration leaked through to the lyrics, too. Tom, like, with the most severe bout of writer's block he'd ever experienced, completely changed the way he wrote songs. Like, he'd never written songs like this before. Previously, each set of lyrics would be specifically crafted as a piece, around a theme, and sometimes with a concern. Or, as we saw on the Benz, a whole story. The Benz is full of, like, storytelling, like, songwriting, right? And... And OK Computer has it as well. It has a bit of it amongst some of the more abstract stuff. Exit music is a bit like a story. Subterranean homesick alien is telling a story about being abducted by aliens. For Kid A, he just couldn't do that. He had snatches of lyrics or single lines or just mundane phrases that he'd seen and slogans written down like, Where did you park the car? (laughs) Or a list of areas that are mentioned on the shipping forecast on Radio 4 at midnight. (laughs) They are, in general, less personal lyrics and much more abstract and surreal. And so he took those, and when it came time to actually put lyrics to the songs that they'd been working on, he cut them up and assembled them at random. The lyrics were, they took form almost by chance. David Byrne did this on Remain in Light, uh, himself inspired by David Bowie, who did it on his more experimental albums like Low and Heroes, and those two albums are going to come up a lot. Uh, And it is essentially a Dada technique, an artistic movement famous for being surreal and nonsensical whilst also being satirical. And that's also why the lyrics aren't printed. Lucas, this is absolute Lucas bait. Tom felt they should not be considered separately or outside of the music at all. They were just
1: another instrument. He was just a part of the noise. I mean, on this album, definitely that is the case. Like, I I read up the lyrics, and even when I read them up, I was like, "Don't know." All right, all right, <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I basically and did I'm, that. I, I started looking yeah. up the lyrics, and then I thought, "I don't, I don't think there's any particular meaning." So I genuinely didn't really deep dive into it because I could see mm. that it was so collagey of just stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um. It's, it's worth saying that it's not all totally
0: random. I think you can see a coherent set of themes in something like Idiotech, Um And Motion Picture Soundtrack is one of the examples of a song written its entirety before being taken to the group. And he would move some lines around so that they made sense together sometimes. But then something like Optimistic, I'm pretty sure, is completely random. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because... Th- the fact that the album feels sort of like slightly lyrically coherent is is probably because although not all of the lines were intended to sit next to each other, they are all, I suppose, being written around at the same time by the same person. You know, they're all coming from the same brain with its worries and thoughts yeah. and ideas. Um, so as well as sounding pretty different to their previous work, the fundamental core of both the songs... And how they wrote and recorded them has completely changed. They're basically an entirely new band, um, which is sort of like that idea is sort of kind of nearly proven correct by the fact that a couple of them have said when they had the album finished, they considered not releasing it as Radiohead. They considered changing their band name uh, to release this album. Really? Um, Yeah. I think they were going to go back to Shindig. No. No, they weren't going to go back to Shindig. <laughs> imagine they, imagine they released this as Shindig.
1: Look, everyone, okay. shut up. <laughs> well, we did, but we didn't even get to the album. <laughs> Look, I don't care. Shut up. Okay, <laughs> fine, uh, fine. Lix has had enough. We'll do up. your outro and 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 fuck do off. Do my outro. Do my shut, outro. Shut and shut do up. My and outro. Fuck okay, we will shut <laughs> up
0: and we will fuck off. Uh, well, I mean, we should do an email, shouldn't we? Go on
2: Absolutely.
0: then. Hurry up. Right. On. Okay.
1: Hurry up. Alright, I'm, <laughs> <looking, laughs>
2: I'm looking for Stop the, it.
0: Uh. I'm looking for the emails. Uh, uh. The email, uh. <laughs> I didn't I didn't prepare any emails.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you.
0: Right. Right. This is from Martin Hall. Uh subject line. Thank you for the what is music. See what they've done there. See what they've done. Mm. Uh, Dear Big Mates, just getting in touch. After nearly two years of listening to your podcast, I started listening during lockdown 2020 when I was eager to find a way in to Manic Street Preachers for my girlfriend. I've been a fan of the Manic since my angsty teenage years in the early noughties, and I've always felt my girlfriend would enjoy the band once she got past their dad rock reputation. She hails from Wales and is also a poet, so has a lot in common with the band. Unfortunately, oh dear... (laughs) I think the slightly more lo-fi quality of the early episodes put her off. Well, that's rude, because I think they're, they're oh, pristine. That's <laughs> oh, incredible quality. <laughs> we mixed them in stereo. And also, uh, so and in basically, st-
1: that means we, we've gone better since we moved over to Zoom. Yeah, basically. Thanks, pandemic. Oh. Well,
0: I learned how to mix things as well, is what happened. Yeah, uh, I learned on the job. Anyway, however, I stuck around and really got into the show. During that long, lonely okay. summer, I found your conversations about a band I love a real comfort and a way to reassess some of my long-held opinions of the band's output. High points were, of course, the Holy Bible, where I got to once again pour over the incredible lyrics of Richie Edwards and the reassessment of Lifeblood. This, in fact, became my Lockdown 3 album, and now I rank Glasnost, Solitude Sometimes Is, and Fragments are some of my favourite Manic Street Preachers tracks. At the end of 2020, we moved city and I started a new job. The What Is Music podcast provided a bit of continuity to my routine and some friendly voices while I was getting to know people in the midst of lockdown. I was initially sceptical of a series on Muse, which were the first band I ever really got into, but had left behind long ago, around the same time as Adam, I'd always felt the origin of Symmetry was a moment of capturing lightning in a bottle. Their later output seemed completely at odds with what had made that music special and had lost their quintessential weirdness. But listening to the series has allowed a bit of a way back into the band. I still think they are a wasted opportunity, but can now enjoy albums like The Resistance and Second Law for the overblown pop albums that they are, Big Freeze was a late highlight for me. Surprised there wasn't more love for it. Not going to be putting anything after that onto the playlists though. So please keep doing what you're doing. I think you should do a series on Scott Walker as the context to his story is really fascinating and his musical evolution will really lead to some great discussions. Lucas's thoughts on Bish Bosh would really be something. Best wishes, Martin. Thank you, Martin. Scott Walker, I'm not that familiar with Scott Walker either.
2: Are you guys familiar with Scott Walker? He wrote Creep, right? Sure. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. The Scott Walker
1: song. Sure. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever heard those two words put in that order before. Scott Walker. What, Scott and yeah. Walker.
0: Yes, yeah, you have. I mean, we've mentioned him a bunch of times on the podcast.
1: Yeah. No, never,
0: no, 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 <laughs> never. <laughs> Fine.
2: See the panic in my eyes there when I thought, I've got this
0: name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you very much, listeners, for listening. Thank you, Stephen Lucas, for joining our next episode. We're going to, I promise, we are going to get to the album Maybe. Kid A. So come and join us for that. Lucas has got big plans. He reckons we, we might get to Kid A, but we might not. So I don't know what Lucas is going to do next week. Um, before you join us next week, come and let us know what you think of what we talked about. All that sort of context that surrounds kid a and the recording sessions you can do that by finding us on twitter at what is music pod instagram at what is music pod tiktok at what is music and if you'd like to send in something a little bit longer and maybe have us read it out in the same way that martin just did email us whatismusicpod at gmail.com and we also have a couple of ways you can support us other than listening if you'd like to. One is to buy our merchandise and if you go to whatismusicpod.rebubble.com you'll find some cheapy designs of one shot, major one. And if you'd like to chuck us a few quid because you don't want the merchandise you can go to coffee.com which is ko-fi.com slash whatismusic. All donations very gratefully received and go towards our running costs. That about does it. Thank you very much for listening. Before you go, please don't leave me Hi. Don't, Don't leave, leave me. me. Bye. Bye.
1: Big pause. Bye. Thank okay. <laughs>